0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Hi, Flavia. How are you? Hi, Emily. I'm very well. Thank you. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thank you. It's so lovely to have you on Teacher Talk Radio. Um, For those that don't know who you are, um, if you could please introduce yourself and what you do.
1: Yes, of course. So thank you so much for having me here today. Mm -hmm. It's very nice to be here. I am, my name is Flavia. I am currently the chief scientist at Seneca Learning, which we may or may not have heard of, but it's a learning platform. It's pretty big. We have over 6 million people using Seneca, which is amazing. Wow. And I am currently the chief scientist at Seneca. I've been with Seneca since 2017. And before that, I did my PhD at UCL, University College London, on cognitive neuroscience. And before that, I was in Brazil where I was a science teacher in a state school. Wow, wow, wow. So
2: you've got like a plethora of, you know... Experience behind you, which sounds amazing. And I can't wait to, you know, pose a lot of the questions around cognitive science because I think this is revolutionised teaching and made teaching so much better because it's predicated on scientific research. Um, for those that may have not heard of it before, or for those that are still getting to grips with cognitive science, would you be able to just, you know, um, give a brief description of what cognitive science is?
1: Yeah, so I'd say cognitive science is a very big term, and uh, one of the good things about it, actually, when I started doing my PhD, only the one reason that I wanted to be in this area is because it's very interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, yeah. so I went to UCL, to the Institute of Cognitive Neuroscience, or Cognitive Science, and there were people who were physicists, there were people who are mathematicians, people who are psychologists, people who are mm-hmm. biologists, like me. Uh, linguists, anthropologists—it's a big thing. But everybody kind of get together from their individual fields to understand how the mind works. And yeah. That's how I would put it. It's getting different research and science fields trying to get everything together to understand how the mind works yeah. and how then people behave, how intelligence works, memory, reasoning, communication—all of those things that come from the mind but looking at it from different perspectives.
2: Oh, I love that. So it's literally just to summarize what you said, it's a study of how the mind works. And I think that's very necessary because I remember being on my PGCE when I was training as a teacher and I had no idea. It was never taught to me about how the mind works. And it was, it's something that's missing in teacher training courses, but I don't think anymore, to be honest. And, um, Why do you think learning about cognitive science is important?
1: Yeah, I think that because it relates to everything. So there's the importance for education. But even before that, you know, everything I said, language, how we communicate, how we talk, how we understand each other, how we solve problems, how we memorize things, how we forget things. Everything is cognitive science. And all of those things are in learning as well. Yeah. so you know you're a teacher so when you learn something you're not just alone thinking about something quietly there's a lot involved there's communication hearing, writing, talking remembering, forgetting, thinking about other things, connecting things together so I think that it's important for teachers and students to know about it because it's the basis of learning and uh, I've heard I can't remember who said it but it was in one of the conferences and talks that I went to But somebody said that normally, let's say if you work in a pharmaceutical company and you are developing a medicine, you need to know how all the chemical elements interact with each other so that you can create the medicine. So when you are working with education or learning, you need to know how the mind works so that you can do the best for learning.
2: I love that and um, I know in cognitive science there's this thing called working memory and long-term memory would you be able to elaborate more on that because I know not everybody's so familiar about working memory and long-term memory yeah
1: yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah of course so uh, working memory will be working memory is where you solve problems where you create connections between things where you think about things when you are using that piece of information to deal with something that's happening. Yeah. And then long-term memory is where you store all that information. Yeah. So there are a few differences. So working memory is very limited. There's only so much that your brain can deal with at one point in time. Yeah. You cannot try to solve 15 problems at the same time. Yeah. Or you cannot, you know, uh, write, at least I cannot write a text and watch TV at the same time, I guess. It's too much for me. One of the two I won't pay attention to. Uh, But long-term memory is infinite. You can store as much as you want, as much as you can in there. Uh, So that's different because you're not using it at that time, it's just a storage. And you can put as much as you want in there. So uh, I just think it's cute that you think about long-term memory as, you know, Mary Poppins and the bag.
2: Yeah, uh, she that. would
1: put like everything in there, it's just yeah. infinite space yeah. and room. Yeah. And then you can just pull things out of there and yeah. then bring them to your working memory when you need them mm. to solve that particular problem you're working on. Yeah. With.
2: I, when I've done like revision workshops for students, I've always kind of explained working memory as like the first iPhone um like with limited storage like iphone 3 and it has such limited storage to the point where you have to start deleting stuff in order to make space for more apps or more pictures and long-term memory is like imagining that there's an iphone (laughs) with um in, as you said before infinitive um storage and they're like oh, i think a penny drops then because they all into like gadgets and i think yeah. we all go through that process of trying to delete apps or photos or videos just to make room for more um storage and yeah i think the penny drops a bit when um i've used that examples because i tried to use the example before because i went to a cpd session but um you delivered at all saints ages ago with Neve um, she's amazing yeah and um, you use you know the Mary Poppins bags yeah. to illustrate what um, long-term memory means however the kids haven't watched some kids haven't watched Mary Poppins and I love Mary Poppins yes, going so on so, they yeah. Yeah, they're like who's what's Mary Poppins <laughs> I'm just like yeah so yeah I just knew that that wouldn't work with them but most it's teachers more current. yeah yeah but most teachers when you know delivering cpd sessions in school about cognitive overload and working long-term they know what Mary Poppins is but students are like yeah just like oh my gosh you haven't watched Mary Poppins that's annoying
1: that's classic yeah Yeah. Um, Uh, but also uh, just what happened to me the other day my computer was very slow and laggy and I asked one of our software developers like what can I do this is not working and he's like switch off and on again but the reason wow. for that is that when you switch off it deletes all the cache and temporary storage oh, yeah. wow wow yeah so that's a, a little bit of what you're saying you know yeah. the old iphone so the laptops the computers they have this temporary working storage but yeah. you're using things and then you have the real memory on the computer you can have as much as, you, as it fits wow. So yeah, in order to, for the computer to work, sometimes you have to switch off so that it deletes the temporary storage, yeah. and then it frees up more space.
2: Oh, that is so useful. So it's like a temp the working memory is like that temporary space. So my next question is, how do we then transfer, um, you know, information in that working memory into long term memory so that that knowledge can kind of abide for a very long time.
1: Yeah, so that's a bigger question. Uh, But I think the main things there would be connections and revisiting past information. So um, every time that you create connections between different pieces of information, then you store them in a more strong way in your long-term memory. So if you just try to memorize a year that something happened, you're probably going to forget that after a few days because it's just one isolated piece of information. Yeah. But then, if you think about that number connected to some another event that was happening in that year or something yeah. else that you already know about that's already stored, then you create these schemas, right? That's the wow. technical word. So, you yeah. kind of instead of having different pieces of information separated, you bring the new one into your schema
2: yeah. of things that you
1: already have secured and yeah. then it like a puzzle you're putting things together yeah so the connections and then that's why it's also very important and that's in education and in everything else to revisit past information yeah so that you can keep reconsolidating that information and creating new connections so that it gets stronger and stronger oh wow I
2: love that and that's something that we've tried to embed in our schemes of work especially at key stage three because we want to really embed those skills of memorizing and memory through having sections in our scheme of work looking at revisits so it could be a quiz it could be um like an essay question but they have to use previous units of work to answer that new question so that that way the knowledge becomes stronger and much more embedded in their minds um yeah i really like that strategy thank you and how can teachers use cognitive science in their own classroom do you have any like practical strategies and practical tips that teachers could use uh
1: yeah i can give a pra- <laughs> practical tips but i think in this case the main tip that i can give anybody who's listening is to look for other teachers other the classroom teachers who are into cognitive science and who are already applying yeah. those uh thoughts, those principles in the practice. And I have a few names that I can suggest, but I can also mm-hmm. send you a longer list, Emily, later, and you can share with everybody. Mm-hmm. But off the top of my head, I can think of Kate Stockings, Mark Answer, Nikki Kaiser, Nimi Schlad, they're all on Twitter. There's a big CogSci community yeah. on Twitter. Uh, Blake Harvard, he's an American teacher, but he's also really, really nice mm-hmm. and has lots of ideas. Uh, and also, On Seneca, we have a series of free CPD courses about cognitive science, and some of them are very practical. They're all about different strategies that you can use in the classroom. So if you wanna, I'm gonna mention a few here, but if you wanna know more, and directly from the people who created those strategies and who use them every day in their classrooms, then I recommend you go into uh, SenecaLearning.com, go into the CPD section, and it's all free. We also have a very nice YouTube channel where people, we give talks, we have talks, we host talks. And we've had talks with Kate and Mark and Nikki and Mish. Uh, on Saturday, we just had a whole conference about the curriculum, mm-hmm, so how you yeah. can use cognitive science to structure your post-school curriculum. Yeah. it's was really interesting. Uh, yeah, but just to mention a few, thing, uh, so things they are very traditional, like flashcards, are actually very much based on cognitive science so yeah. this idea of which people practice of answering questions and bringing things back to mind so you can reconsolidate them making them stronger so you know I think you know our grandparents were using flashcards probably yeah but there is a reason behind <laughs> well, this a reason why they work
2: yeah they do work
1: they do work also uh so from uh Blake Harvard he has something called the color-coded retrieval practice, I think that's what he called. Uh, And I think it's a very good one because it's very low cost. So anybody can use it. You just need some colorful pens and paper. So what he does is to ask students a few questions, and then they have to write everything that they know about each question without checking any books, without asking their colleagues, just period. And then they go and check the books. Actually, no, before they go and ask the colleagues, so is there anything that I missed here? Can I read yours? Can you read mine? What have I missed? And then they complete with a different color. Yeah. And then lastly, they go wow. and read the textbooks and complete the final bits, anything that they have yeah. missed with a third color. And then a week later or two weeks later, they do the exact same thing again with the same questions. Yeah. And they compare how much color they have compared oh, to the previous good. week. Yeah. So the idea is that they should have more and more of the first color and less and less of the check in the book wow. color. Oh, so like it's that. good. Yeah, yeah it's like good that. for retrieval practice, uh, revisiting information, also a bit of metacognition because it learns. It helps them to understand how much they have learned about yeah. something. Yeah, but I think that's a very cool one too.
2: I love that. Thank you. And I just wanted to talk more about cynical learning because it's very popular among students. I know that my brother, when he was revising for his GCSEs, he frequently used cynical learning for all his subjects, science, history literally all his subjects he absolutely loved it and I know a lot of teachers used it to set on to check for online learning and the retention of learning during that online period um so I just wanted you to if you could elaborate um how cynical learning uses cognitive science to embed knowledge because I'm aware of it but it would be nice to hear of how yeah how how from you how it how it you meshes cognitive science along with
1: knowledge Yeah, yeah sure So, we have four basic pillars or principles that we use in our methodology. And those are, and I can tell you more about each of them uh, individually retrieval practice, spacing, interleaving, and dual coding.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Those are the four ones that we use. Yeah. And the reason, the way we use them is so, starting with dual coding, dual coding is the idea that it's easier for your brain to process information if you combine. Verbal information with images or visual elements. So it makes it easier for the brain to understand that information and to consolidate it. So we use a lot of images. We use diagrams. We use mind maps. We use color-coded information. So everything that we have in terms of text, it goes combined with some visual elements as well. We also do a lot of GIFs and memes. So not only because it's more, you know, Mary Poppins, they don't know, but they know GIFs and memes. So it's more in that language, but also because it taps into this dual coding idea as well. It helps them to understand if you have a very tricky concept and you put together a GIF of some artists that they know and they like doing that thing that's being described in the text, then it's easier for them to understand.
2: Yeah, is that saying that an image you know, it gives off a a thousand words, it produces a thousand words. So it's, there's something about, you know, pairing images to words that really embed understanding and knowledge,
1: yeah. Yeah, yes. Uh, Then we also have the main one, which would be retrieval practice. So it's the flashcard idea. So you, instead of just passively reading information and trying to memorize that, you're actually answering questions and retrieving, bringing information back to mind. So doing this reconsolidation, connecting with new things that you're learning so that it becomes stronger and stronger in your long-term memory. So when students go on Seneca, they will see a summary of the content, which is all connected with images and all of that. But then most of the things that they will do will be answering questions.
2: Yeah.
1: practice about that content so they can do create these connections and store their uh, knowledge better in the long-term memory and then we also have spacing and interleaving which are ways to help students to alternate between different topics different uh, subjects and also revisit past topics so that you don't forget things so we have the forgetting curve so if you learn something and you don't revisit that, you just forget that. so you always have to keep revisiting them Yeah. So on our platform, we have what we call the smart learning algorithm, which is uh, something that takes into account everything that each student's doing and then selects new questions for each student and also creates a personalized timetable or study timetable, which is the optimized moment when each student should be revisiting each topic.
2: That's so good. So it's personalized.
1: Each student will have their own yeah because it's based on the actual data on what they have been doing on the platform
2: wow that's really good yeah um and i wanted to touch on thank you on um dual coding because one thing that i do like for example in the key stage 5 history that i've seen on Seneca is that um I think geocoding has been misunderstood to be kind of the icons. I don't know if you've seen, uh, you know, the noun project icons and then pairing it with words, but yeah. on the Seneca learning with the history, they have real historical images, um, which is perfect for, you know, the teaching of history it's, it's that perfect pairing however I feel like there's been this mutation of dual coding and the mutation of cognitive science whereby you know how um the intention behind the research gets misunderstood as time goes on have you kind have you seen that mutation at all when it comes to cognitive science or dual coding or one of those elements
1: uh yeah actually yeah, yeah. so I think um so in terms of dual coding, we have, mm-hmm. so you know, Oliver Caviglioli, I think he's the main person in terms of dual coding. He has given a talk with us, so it is on our YouTube channel, and he has written a course for Sthenica, which you can access for free, all mm-hmm. about dual coding. So you hear it from the master of dual coding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not just about creating an icon, it's about this, because in our working memory, we have two systems, subsystems, we have the verbal okay. and the visual one and if you get them to work together then you Mm -hmm. just understand things better so uh yeah photographs are a great thing to do mind maps diagrams actually on uh kate jones which is also a great person to follow uh she has this technique that she calls picture prompt yeah so it's also she's also a history teacher and what she does is to give students an image which is usually a historical image, so a real photograph of some time in the past. And then students have to talk about their picture using yeah. the things that they have learned in class. Yeah. So it's not only describing the picture because that, that's not really what history is, you're not describing, but you're using that picture as a starting point to everything else that was happening at that time. Yeah,
2: yeah, I love that. Thank you. And have you... Um, You know, besides dual coding, have you seen a misunderstanding of cognitive science as well, that
1: mutation? Yeah, I think what I would say today, I think not in terms of one thing, only single thing, but in general, I think I've seen some people saying that we shouldn't really be basing our teaching and learning on cognitive sciences because Mm -hmm. that it just becomes too mechanical. Yeah, and you know, teaching becomes too traditional in quotation marks okay. and too mechanical when you remove the student's agency or student's creativity, yeah. or you know, flexibility, and you're just treating everybody as the same person because you know, the brain is the brain. Yeah. Uh, you remove individuality, individuality, and I, I think that is a misunderstanding. I don't think yeah. that is it at all. I think it's actually the other way around. So yeah. we do have some basic things that, you know, humans do, you know, we're the same species. So we do behave and think in similar ways up to a certain point because, you know, it is the same species. But I think that the way I see it, at least, is that you cannot be creative without knowing your facts first. Yeah. You know, you so cannot, cool. unless you are some crazy genius, <laughs> but you cannot, you know, write a symphony. Without having the and the music part too before, you yeah. cannot, you know, create a new social housing policy that will really help people without understanding all the history of
2: yeah, well, housing yeah, in the past.
1: Yeah. And I think cognitive science helps students to get to that point. We want them to be creative. We want them to be individual, uh, thinking, critical thinking people, each on their own way yeah but to do that they have to know things That's and the, the best point. way for them to know things is it's to true. understand how yeah. their brain understand That's... things so that we can teach them the best way possible
2: oh I love that and um I think also what you mentioned before about how Seneca learning produce uses data to produce you know personalized um, time, um like revision timetable I think that also combats and refutes that argument that you know cognitive science isn't is kind of a one fit size for all people um because even the tools that you have on cynical learning um is for the individual student which yeah combats that argument thank you um i know you touched on this before but um i just wanted to kind of um spot like this area about how can we as teachers limit forgetting because forgetting seems to be like for example um as a starter activity i might get students to do a quiz on last lessons learning and i'm just and some of them struggle i'm just thinking if you can't remember what we did yesterday how on earth are you going to remember it next year when you're doing your gcse so what tips do you have to enable students to you know to limit forgetting
1: yeah. yeah that, that's a very good question. I think there are two things that we can do there. I think the first thing is to help them to store the information in the first place. Yeah. Because it could be that they don't remember what we did yesterday because they didn't really pay attention yesterday oh, so wow, it was never yeah. stored in the first place so it's not yeah. like they forgotten they just never had it
2: wow that's a good point
1: yeah yeah so that that could be one thing that i don't know they were not paying attention or it was explained in a way that they didn't really get and yeah. that's why it was never stored in the first place so wow. they can't retrieve it uh, so that's one thing and but the other thing is then doing this revisit every time so if you do a starting activity about last lesson, that is great, but then you also have to do something about two weeks ago yeah. and about four weeks ago and then about last year or last key stage. Yeah. And uh, there are a few things that helps obviously Seneca does, but there's these, um, so Kate again, she has the retrieval grid challenge, yeah. which has yeah. a series of questions. And you get different points so you get one point if you answer a question about last lesson you get two mm-hmm. points if you answer a question about two weeks ago you get four points if you answer something about last year so you're doing this retrieval not only yeah. about the previous thing but about everything that you have seen before there's also uh, Adam Boxer's retrieval roulette which is an excel template where you have millions of questions and then it randomly generates and selects questions about everything that you have seen with your students so you revisit everything yeah uh, you cannot revisit just once you have to keep revisiting yeah. until it gets strong enough so they don't forget again well,
2: thank you and um you you mentioned attention like we have to look back at how we store information how can we capture capitalize on students attentions because sometimes I see my students attentions wondering in the classroom do you have any tips for you know enjoyment attention <laughs> in uh, lessons
1: yeah so I think that there are a few techniques like asking the question first yeah. and then calling the student's name
2: oh yeah like called cold calling yeah. Cold yeah.
1: Cold yeah calling so instead of so if I say Emily, then you're already paying attention and everybody else is not because it's not they're not okay. gonna be asked anything. So yeah. the other way around, they have to be paying attention. That's one thing. Uh, yeah, so ensuring that there are so actually on Kate's talk, which was early October, also for our YouTube channel. She talked a lot about cold calling. Yeah. And you know, helping students communicate their answers in a better yeah. way. Yeah. So sometimes you ask students something and they just go like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. well, how you can really ex you know extract that yeah. knowledge from them? I think that's to talk to because she talked a lot about code calling, which I think is a good probably a good strategy in that case too.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um and how can we I guess it's tied into retrieval practice but in terms of like task design I guess how can we store information into students brains better um, in terms of task designs do you have any tips for that?
1: In terms of how we ask them things how yeah. We yeah so them. how we
2: ask them things how they kind of use that new information yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh I'm gonna go with scaffolding and yeah. elaboration.
2: Yeah.
1: So elaboration would be going deeper and deeper. Yeah. So if you are learning about I don't know, geography and you like that river goes through those countries, that's okay. Yeah. But has it changed? Has it always gone through those countries? Has there wow. been any geological changes that changed the river path? Would those countries always those countries or has there been some wars? And then you connect with history. So that yeah. country was actually called something else before. It was a different wow. people. Yeah. How was there, how is that river used for you know, agriculture or anything so you connect with sciences? So yeah. I think I'm a, a fan of just getting more subjects together. So instead yeah. of doing, this is history, this is sciences, this is maths, so if you can combine everything in a way that
2: yeah. goes
1: together, uh, I think that's good. So mm-hmm. that, that would be one thing. So elaborations about going deeper instead of just answering the question is, but why and how,
0: and yeah. connecting
1: to other things that you already know. Uh, and the other one would be scaffolding. So scaffolding is not asking them about everything at once.
0: Yeah. If they are
1: so that's this difference between being a novice and being an expert. And the closer you are of being a novice, you need more scaffold You need more help to get to the answer. And the yeah. more and more you get to the expert level, then you don't. So just as an example, I am because that makes me see the importance of scaffolding very very clearly yeah. on myself because I started to learn German oh, recently. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sorry to any German teachers who are listening, but that's a full language. It's so (laughs) hard. It's so hard. It's so difficult. Uh, But what I've noticed when I'm in class is that we have different teachers, not always the same teachers. And some teachers be learning about some new grammar rule and then just go like create a sentence using that grammar rule. Yeah. Like, okay, I can maybe do that. But what some teachers do, and it's a lot better, and that's scaffolding, is like, let, let me give you some clues. So let me put a few words on the board. So you create a sentence, by using these words, and yeah. I'm going to tell you the gender. So if it's masculine, neutral, or feminine, and then basically you just have to apply that one rule. So everything else is there for you. Yeah. So you already know these things, and all you have to do is apply that one new rule that you just learned rather than do this whole thing, so I have to know the rule, I have to remember the other rules that I have learned in the past, I have to memorize the vocabulary, it's just too much to do, and yeah. I'm still trying to learn the new rule, but I have yeah. to do it combined with all the other things wow. that I'm still new to, yeah. so then I don't really learn the new rule, so that's that's scaffolding, I think that's a very powerful technique, and I think with myself, that you have to do like building blocks you cannot yeah. just throw something at them all at just you once. have to help them
2: together yeah 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 I really like that so it's like building that foundation and getting them to be a master of one instead of trying to be a master of all at the same time yeah you're know, a big fan of scaffolding <laughs> um and then my last question is how can we teach students about cognitive science so that they can revise and study effectively
1: yeah I think that let me see, I think three things that we can do. So I think the first one is, like I say, that's just me personally. I like when you combine different subjects. So yeah. students need to, so there are so many research papers about cognitive science, about retrieval practice, like actual research that has been done with yeah. universities. And I think they would be a really cool project if you, there was like an interdisciplinary project. So you have psychology, because you know it's all about psychology. But then you have mm. maps because you interpret the graph results. You have yeah. English because you know what kind of language is used in a scientific report. Then you have sciences because it was research. So then you get everything together uh, to understand, and then they can see how all the subjects have to come together to yeah. understand how the mind works. But also uh, using COG-SCI or cognitive science in your own classroom like we talked about before all those techniques so if you are using if you are giving them flash cards then explain why flashcards work
2: wow yeah i like that yeah
1: yeah uh, or if you're doing a starter activity like why are you asking me about something that we saw last week yeah we already done there why are we not talking about today's lesson why we're we talking about last week's lesson but yeah. just explaining things to them is a very good one uh, Maybe, if possible, involve parents as well because yeah. they will be studying, and that was very clear during remote learning. But I think even now, they do a lot at home, still obviously, you know, the homework and all of that. So, if they yeah. do a lot of uh, revisiting past topics when they are in class, but they don't do that when they are reviewing on their own, then it's obviously less effective. So, maybe if you involve parents, if parents understand.
3: Yeah. what's going
1: on then they can help yeah. children when they are at home and we actually have a course on Seneca again free cpg that is how to talk to parents about cognitive science
2: oh that's really good yeah
1: oh so it's by patrice bank who is a american educator as well uh, and yeah. then lastly uh, yeah just give them tools to help them a bit of scaffolding so yeah. okay here you have to do retrieval practice do coding and, and, and let me help you instead of having to do all on your own so Seneca yeah. obviously helps or you have to create a flash card here here's yeah. a template you know here's something that can help yeah. them to get started.
2: Oh, I love that because um, something that you mentioned on parents is the education um, endowment foundation that you know um, researches in terms of the best practices for teacher learning as well as the inner drive I don't know if you come yeah, they're amazing as well. Um have this research paper on parental involvement. And I thought about two years ago, two, three years ago, I thought, okay, let me merge the two best practices together, which is retrieval practice and parental involvement. And I created this parent book for teachers. I mean not teachers, parents. Uh, Um it's a quiz booklet for parents. So on one side you've got the questions and on the other side you've got the answers. So that way, um parents that have to be an expert because they've got the answers in the booklet and they can test their child okay. at least five questions about any history topic within the booklet, um, you know, every day. And then they've got a log at the back of a book which they can record the score and the parents has, has, have to sign because what we see in secondary school is that parents we lose that involvement of parents in secondary school whereas in primary school they're very involved because they have to sign a mm-hmm. reading record mm-hmm. at the end of every um every every day I remember my youngest brother my mum had to sign a read record every single day and I think it would be much more powerful if you know if there was a quiz booklet for parents on every subject merged into one instead of individual booklets for yeah. each subject and they just randomly just pick five questions you know test their child and then record it and yeah um and we did see parents absolutely loved it and That's we did nice. see increase in terms of um, results as well with that use as well as modeling modeling plus retrieval practice i think are powerful forms of yeah. teaching together yeah. so yeah yeah oh,
1: I love that that's that. a really great idea I like that a lot
2: oh thank you yeah, yeah. It was featured in Kate Jones's um retrieval practice as a case study so oh, nice. yeah yeah just to get that parental involvement and the parents loved it because they were learning new things as well when it started yeah. conversations on the dinner table and yeah it was lovely feedback
1: yeah that's uh, awesome uh we actually we're starting now uh, with the parent platform on Seneca as well.
2: Oh, wow, that's
1: amazing! So yeah. it's also free, and uh, you can, as a parent, you can create an account and then connect your child's account, yeah. and then you get to see all the stats about yeah. that student in different subjects, what kind of assignment, which assignments they have to do, which ones they haven't done. Uh, there will be a, platform platform is already there, but it's still very yeah. basic. So what we're doing now is creating new features, and one of these features will be. Uh, weaknesses and so data on the yeah. platform, parents will be able to see which areas they are struggling with and which areas they have mastered. And then yeah. I think if combined with something like you do, then they know that they have to pick five questions about the yeah. strong uh, or about the weak areas. And yeah. then just one question about the strong area. Yeah, so I think that that will actually go very well together.
2: That would yeah. be that. Yeah, when that comes out, please do let me know. Especially because I, I think what would because last year our head of year eleven did like a parent workshop. It was a parent morning. And I think it's something that should still be done this year. Um, but that was prior to COVID. I think it was yeah before lockdown. But I think what would be more powerful we had like a parent parental workshop and parents are on computers and they yeah. get and they can see step by step how to actually use. Seneca platform because that would be absolutely yeah fantastic yeah, yeah that sounds amazing can't wait to see <laughs> see that and then actually my last question because I said the previous question was my last question um is there any new research out there on cognitive science or on forgetting or retrieval practice
1: yeah I think that yes I mean there are <laughs> yeah like so many institutes working on there but I still think that those four pillars are probably the most important things and then you just have like different branches coming from them so you have you know retrieval practice but then does it work as well with little kids with primary school kids as it does with university students? Does it work in the workplace? Does it work for um, more abstract knowledge? Does it work for procedural memory as in like you know you do you paint better
2: oh yeah do you play good...
1: better through wow. a or, or is it more for yeah. you know, facts so i think that yeah i think it's more about going to the nuances of each of those four main pillars also cognitive load theory so you talked about that i think earlier uh, that's a big one and they're always you know easy seven items that we have in a uh, working memory is it four is it nine they're like yeah people are still trying to find out the details we know that the big things they work but then how exactly they work I think that's that's what they're trying to figure out now
2: yeah okay even that's more really,
1: precise
2: yeah yeah that's very really interesting I like how you uh, differentiate between the procedural knowledge because you know the practical subjects like art PE they need some Understand how retrieval practice works in their field. Yeah, so that's quite yeah that, that that's really interesting. Uh, I did have another question in mind. Just as you were speaking, if you could remind people what were what are the four pillars that you mentioned? Because you mentioned one retrieval practice.
1: Yeah, so I uh, would be uh, retrieval practice, which is answering questions, bringing things back to mind. Yeah, and then spacing because it's the revisiting of past information. So you do retrieval practice about everything in the past. Yeah, keep bringing them back to mind, and then dual coding because it helps your brain to process and connect things better. Yeah, and then the fourth one would be cognitive load theory. Yeah, which is there's the especially about working memory because long-term memory is unlimited, but working memory, you have to have this uh, sweet spot. So yeah. if you don't challenge it enough, their students are not doing enough. They're only doing a little bit. They won't be challenged. Yeah. And there will be no new learning. They'll be able to do everything, complete the task. But it's so easy. There's no new learning. Yeah. But then if you give them too much to do, it will overload Definitely. their working memory. And yeah. then there'll also be no learning because there'll be so much. They'll be overwhelmed that they can't learn anything. So there's a sweet spot. It's like with my German lesson. You know, if you yeah. ask me to create an entire sentence using five different rules, I'll yeah. I'm like so nah, that I can't say anything. But if you make it too easy, then I'm also not learning anything, and it's boring, and then I'm losing yeah. interest, and then I'm not paying attention anymore. So yeah. There has to be something uh, right there. So I think that's the fourth one, cognitive load.
2: Thank you, thank you so much, um, Flavia. It's been lovely to have you on, and I've learned so much. And you know, it was kind of like a revision course at the same time. And I'm sure others have learned a lot as well. Oh yeah, that question came to mind now that I really wanted to ask. It was just one last thing. You did mention um university student, and I feel like there's so much emphasis in terms of secondary school and to some extent primary school in terms of cognitive science and retrieval practice. So yeah. Is there any work being done at university level? Do you see cognitive science being implemented or introduced in university level? I haven't been at university in a long time. So um not... <laughs> uh,
1: uh, yeah. yeah, so actually it's very interesting because most research papers yeah. are done using university students oh, wow. as participants yeah. because you know yeah. that's the easiest thing that you can do. You're already a yeah. university, so you just pay a hundred undergrads to come and do your test yeah. so you have that sample. Uh, researching schools are much more complicated, you know, not yeah. only, and rightly so, you know, you have to get all the security and safety because, you know, they're all underage. So there's a lot of admin involved. And mm-hmm. also you have to have the school approval. You have to disrupt the class because doing something. So it's a lot yeah, more true. complicated. So there are less uh, studies with schools. Uh, but I think that school teachers are being quite open or getting more and more open to yeah. using those uh, strategies and those principles in classroom. Yeah, I think maybe university students, they should know that. And I actually think that's yeah. the important thing. So, you know, the learning scientists. Yeah. So they say that, you know, if you have been a, I don't know, a glass maker for 13 years, then you are a very yeah. good glass maker, you know exactly what to do. But the, un- the student, they get to university after 13 years of being a student and they still don't know how to study effectively. Yeah. So I think if we wow. really get our students in, all the way since primary school yeah. through secondary and A levels to understand cognitive science and to really get comfortable with it, then they will become much better students as well at university. Yeah
2: yeah I definitely agree yeah that was the last question I promise Uh, thank you so much it has been such a great show I've um, learned new things as well as revising old things and yeah I'm just really grateful and if you do have any questions please do um, get in touch with Flavia Um, how can people get in touch with you
1: so my email is flavia at seneca.io Yeah. And I am also on Twitter, it's at Flavia PhD. So Flavia and Bellam is B-E-L-H-A-M, PhD. Uh, Yeah, you'll find me there.
2: Thank you. And do you offer any personalized CPD to schools or departments? I know you've got CPD on YouTube. I don't know if you, you know, come in and you can still offer CPD to
1: schools. Yeah, we actually have uh, a couple of new colleagues who we're calling... uh, school success department yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's exactly to help schools make the best out of Seneca so we do offer school training thank you uh, yeah we do. yeah
2: so if you want to you know those in, if you do want to um have CPD at you know personalized to your school please do contact um Flavia and she stated her email as well as her Twitter handle as well okay thank you so much
0: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppy's Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit OxfordPrimary.com forward slash phonics.
2: Hello, 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 and welcome to Teacher Talk Radio. My name is Emily Fuller Show, and um, it is, you know, 8pm or past 8pm, I should say, Monday, the 8th of um, November. And today I'll be discussing with Laura all things um, Ofsted, especially the experiences in the new Ofsted, um, freight, in terms of the new Ofsted framework. And today I have Laura joining joining us and she is currently a school improvement leader for Um, Humanities at Skegness Grammar School which has recently improved to be awarded a good in all categories by Ofsted. She's in her fifth year of leading for faculty and the second year of embedded scholarship into her history curriculum. So I'm really excited to have um, Laura on the show today to tell us all about those um, changes that she's making as well as her experiences um, under the new framework. So hi Laura, good evening. Hello. And hopefully this is third time lucky. (laughs) So so sorry about um, the other issues. Um, So, yeah, I've given you, um, you know, a a brief introduction, but I don't know if you want to tell us more about your career journey um, in education.
3: Okay. yeah. Um, so I'm currently in my eighth year of teaching. Um, I've worked across three schools in Lincolnshire um, after moving there from Derby. Um, it's my fifth year, as you've mentioned, as a head of faculty at Skedness Grammar School. Um, a couple of years ago, I completed my MPQSL and had a secondment to SLT as well, which was uh, really interesting. Um, but I've decided that the history classroom is my favourite place to be. So i decided to stay there and carry on with my uh, faculty um, leading seven subjects uh, with wow. a bunch of really fantastic teachers.
2: Wow, wow, wow. I don't know how you do it all. And I feel like I, I, I do a lot with just one subject. <laughs> so that's um, amazing work. So um, as you know, today we're discussing all things, um, you know, Ofsted and the new um, Ofsted framework. So I just my initial question is around the call. So when did you get the call and how did you feel?
3: Um, so we got the call on the third week back, so Tuesday the 21st of September. Um, yeah. Quite nervous um, because, you know, you've not got um, a very big window to show off everything that you're doing.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
3: Quite excited as well. It was finally here, you know, that the Ofsted inspection we'd been waiting for, you know, we'd been in the the window, as it is, um, for, for some time. So we were um, looking forward to it. The, the only mm. issue really was that we got the call on the day that our open evening um is scheduled for so it was all business as usual we carried on did the open evening um but getting back sort of fairly late um, that evening and knowing that you've got a deep dive the next day wow. um, <laughs> it was probably a good thing because um, yeah. it didn't, didn't give you time to sort of uh, get
2: too worried about it mm. and did you was did did Ofsted ask to see history, or was it did your SLT choose history? Because I believe that there's one subject, um, school leaders can choose, and the other subjects, um, it, Ofsted asked to see.
3: Yeah, I believe that Ofsted wanted to see a humanities subject and yeah. an SLT sort of recommended history.
2: Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. And what did you do in order to prepare? How, in terms of, you know, your curriculum development, how long has that taken you? And when you got the call, what did you do to prepare? Or, yeah, just talk me through preparation.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, it was mainly long-term preparations, really, because as I say, on the day we got the call, it's a, it's a five, like a full full teaching day for me on a Monday, followed by an yeah. open evening. So well, there wasn't yeah. much time to sort of get anything together, but it was just trying to just make sure that all of the long-term preparations um, were there. So essentially little things like printing off a, a curriculum map and um, sort of just having, having a few examples to hand of things that you wanted to sort of show off. Yeah. Um, but essentially, the hard work was in the long term preparations. So one thing we've been doing a lot um, at, at, across the trust, really, um, is curriculum
2: conversations. Wow. Is that between SLT and, um, you know, your and to so basically is that between your line manager and heads of the department, these curricular conversations? Or is it just across the board?
3: Um, so it's, I, I basically talk to anyone that wants to listen um, about curriculum. Oh, yeah. So we, we have a lot of conversations oh, yeah. as a, as a faculty.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, That's so interesting. yeah.
3: During our faculty time, also with SLT line management, um, we've done presentations on curriculum. Every subject has done a sort of little presentation to SLT on curriculum. I've even been speaking to the deputy CEO of the trust um, all about our history curriculum. Um, yeah. And we're a bit spoilt, really, because we've got a trust-wide subject lead. You might have heard of him, Ben Walsh.
2: Wow, um, so. I'm so jealous. <laughs> How have you got Ben Walsh? It's, it's, a, it's just
3: history teacher's dream, really. We've got yeah. a Christian council in, um, as one of the trustees, and we've got Ben Walsh as our <sighs> trust-wide lead. So,
2: yeah. No way, you are spoiled. I'm so jealous. definitely need to have some more curriculum conversations with you there that's amazing so um, in terms of your um, curricular conversations what questions do you pose to each other in terms of your faculty in your faculty meetings or your departmental meetings Um,
3: so I suppose we we look at the big picture really of curriculum so what why are we learning about this particular topic why are we learning about it here how does it link to future learning how does it support
2: what you know remembering how does it support what students have learned about in the past yeah Um, okay that's interesting so it's all about like memory and um building prior knowledge as well as you know kind of being a foundation to grasp um future knowledge oh that's really interesting and um do you have any tips for others in terms of preparing for um you know Ofsted? new framework and curriculum
0: like
2: yeah. in terms of showcasing the curriculum, yeah.
3: I suppose uh, the big tip would be um, to read the Ofsted Research Review uh, for, yeah. for your subjects. Um, it's really useful, and you'll, you'll you'll find that much of the, the stuff that's in there, you, you're probably doing anyway, uh, but it just yeah. helps to be able to articulate um, what you're doing.
2: Wow. And, um, uh, oh, yeah, sorry, carry on. Sorry. <laughs>
3: um, and, and just... But my top tip, I suppose, would be not to panic. It's, it's an opportunity to show off what you do, to demonstrate, mm-hmm. you know, the thinking behind the curriculum that you've put together. Um, and it's it's more of a discussion, really, um, to, yeah. to be able to explain the rationale behind your curriculum. Um, it's very
2: different mm-hmm. to previous Ofsted inspections that I've experienced. And do you, um, what in terms of you know the Ofsted framework and you know these research. Um, reviews how did you um ensure that the rest of your department and um read that and how did you ensure that you know not your because you you're a history specialist so how did you also ensure that you know your geography or subject lead and their teachers um, read their reviews how did you ensure you know that reading culture in terms of the research review
3: suppose um we've got such a strong reading culture across the faculty anyway yeah uh, you know it's it's quite normal for us to sort of share books and and journal articles etc about what what we've been reading um so everyone was keen to to read it anyway um we do have some non-specialist teaching history and i wanted to sort of Disseminate to them what the Oxted Research Review said about history without sort of overwhelming them with a you know here's a here's a giant document for you to read.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so sort of pulling out some of the key things and being able to say look this is this is how we how we do this um, and this is why we do it. It's just it's really useful in sort of justifying the, what we do, um, how we do,
2: and yeah, why you kind of do it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. And um, do you, in terms of, you know, preparation, you said you printed off documents. Did you at any point have to show them or could you just literally just talk your way through? Did they ask to see any key documents, um, like,
3: you no know,
2: schemes of work? Or could you just um, just literally speak about your, your work and your team's work?
3: They, they did ask to see the scheme. Um, the sort of overview, the scheme of work that we had. Um, yeah. we, we showed them the sort of big picture one. As a school, yeah. we've done quite a lot of work on curriculum, and we've got like a curriculum on a page document, which was really useful um, for just highlighting all the subjects sort of what, what you learn about and where. And it's just, I, I suppose, when I was a few months ago, I did um, a historical association subject leader development course.
2: Yeah.
3: And part of that was a sort of video, if you like, from from Tim Jenner who's the history HMI, Yeah, and he, he was saying on there, you know, you don't need to print off um, reams of information. You don't need an Ofsted folder. It is a discussion. Mm. Um, but for me, it was a bit of a, a sort of safety safety net, if yeah. you like, to, yeah. have, to have that sort of, it wasn't a like, many documents, um, just a f- sort of few things that I could sort of point to and sort of have really for my own benefit when having the conversation as a prompt to myself really more than anything else
2: yeah oh that's really useful to know actually because i'm thinking how much do i need to print off um do i need to print off reams and reams because we have like inquiry overviews but we also have like schemes of work for the year um so it, it that kind of helps in terms of seeing and knowing insight in terms of what ofsted um wanted so there was no documents in essence that they wanted to see you could just have a conversation
3: yeah i, yeah. I mean i i tried to show them <laughs> a few yeah. of the documents so have, have a look at this um yeah but yeah that some of them um they weren't weren't especially interested in sort of reading it great great detail um she yeah. did and the inspector that we had with us um did read through um some of the documents um but i just printed off sort of a selection of examples more than anything i didn't sort of print off every single um sort
2: of unit that, we, that yeah. we were focused on that makes sense that's really useful to know actually and so I'm just going to ask questions in terms of the actual day so yeah if you could just tell me what the day looks like so I'm presuming that the offset um, off- inspector spoke to you first and then observed lessons or was it the other way around um
3: so I wish I'd known this actually in advance. Um, We we did have a sort of overview of the day sent um, sort of the the evening just before. Um, But essentially, there were lesson visits in the morning, um, a meeting with me as a subject lead for history uh, a little bit later in the day, more lesson visits, um, (laughs) a a work scrutiny. Uh, They took two year groups, um, just six books from each year group, including um, SEN students. Um, and they met with teachers after the lessons as well at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Traditionally, this was sort of a time for, for feedback that was given, but it was, it was not like that at all this time. It, was, um, it, it allowed for an interesting discussion, really. Um, yeah. So one of the questions that they asked um, teachers at that time was, what was the key thing you wanted students to, to learn in that lesson? How did you ensure that it happened? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so it, it was quite interesting that they, they, it, there was no sort of feedback given um, to to individual teachers. It was a sort of more of a discussion about what you did and why.
2: Mm, that's really interesting. So they didn't really ask, you know, your team more questions about the curriculum. is literally what you said, like what they did and why then.
3: Yeah, um, and they did need to sort of have an understanding of um, the sequencing of the curriculum in order to be able yeah. to answer it well.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I presume so. Um, and in terms of when they were looking at the lessons and observing, how long did that typically take? Were they in a the whole lesson? Was it like half a lesson, 20 minutes? Um,
3: well, I, I got very spoiled really on our Oxford visit because they visited me for every single lesson of that day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that must have been um, exhausting for you. Be watched. Yeah
3: yeah it was it is just business as usual but it is always a bit a bit strange when you've got uh, uh, someone in the back of your classroom sort of um looking and and, and deciding on whether you're doing a a good job essentially i know they don't give um sort of gradings or feedback to individual teachers um, but it's yeah it it was an interesting day yeah yeah i Um, imagine they some of them some of the lesson visits lasted about sort of 15 minutes, some of them are maybe a little bit longer. Yeah.
2: Um,
3: And for some of them, a member of SLT accompanied uh, the Austin
2: Inspector as well. Yeah. Um, That's so interesting. Okay, I'm just going to go on a short break in terms of adverts. We've got some adverts um, from um, OUP. Uh, We've also got adverts from, um, I think, Mouse DPD. I'm just trying to remember. And the History Hotline. So, um, yeah take it away with the
1: adverts.
0: (laughs) Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit OxfordPrimary.com forward slash phonics. And
2: welcome back. Um, so I've been chatting away to Laura finding out all, all about her experiences under the new Ofsted framework and so far it seems very pleasant and it's kind of beaten, um, taken away all those myths that I've thought um, an inspection would be like kind of a framework. Um, so we've discussed so far you know receiving a call, um, the curriculum and now we're proceeding to talk more about what questions that she was asked during her subject lead interview. So welcome back, Laura. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much so far. Um, yeah, so my next question is, yeah, what questions did they ask you in terms of your conversations and interviews with the inspectorate? So most
3: of the questions were centred around the sequencing of the curriculum.
2: Wow, okay.
3: Um, so it, it basically started off with a sort of how how is your curriculum sequenced in history and can you give an example yeah
2: oh that's really interesting and think, um yeah sorry carry on sorry, sorry. I, th-
3: I think most history teachers will probably have a very similar answer really in that it's it's largely chronological isn't so, it, in, in, yeah. in history um we we also spoke about sort of the way that we um, build upon disciplinary knowledge um, as time goes as the curriculum moves on as well
2: oh that's interesting and what did you say in terms of like the disciplinary knowledge and building upon that
3: um, I, I can't remember which example I gave now yeah. off the top of my head uh, but one of them for example uh, one thing we're trying to do is build in sort of historical scholarship
2: mm. so oh, yeah you did mention that in your um, bio that you sent to, to me would you be able to give me like more of an example in terms of you know using historical scholarship in your curriculum
3: yeah so uh, year seven at the moment they're currently learning about the fall of Rome yeah um, and it's part of a wider unit on what made the world circa thousand um, and as wow. part of the, the fall of Rome they start off by looking at what Edward Gibbon said about um, the fall of Rome um, yeah. and, and sort of who who he blames sort of what um what sort of Causation factor he blames um, for the fall of Rome, um, yeah. and then they they go on and they sort of build upon um, that sort of interpretation, and they look at um, more modern historians. Obviously, he was writing um, in the in the 18th century. Um, they look at how how hist- history has developed over time. Because yeah. one thing we don't want students to just think history is a list of sort of dates and names and events. Yeah, right. We want them to understand that it's it's an academic discipline that's still being created and debated today.
2: Mm. That's really interesting. And, um, you know, just listening to you, is just giving me a bit of comfort. I know like in my curriculum, for example, there's so many things that could be done better, but it, just listening to you, it's like re- kind of reaffirming almost at the same time that actually... I'm on the right track if that makes sense um and my team's on the right track so yeah thank you so much it's kind of, it's really comforting um listening to you because sometimes I feel like as teachers we need that um reassurance because sometimes we, we we are our own biggest critics especially when it comes to our own work or our own you know build the building of the curriculum And um, how long did it take you to like you know Build uh, this curriculum. I know you're on a journey of incorporating more historical scholarship. Um,
3: so I suppose the journey has been sort of going on for five years on, on curriculum yeah. improvement, but wow. most recently, um, sort of working with Ben Walsh, um, we've di- we've made real rapid advances with our history curriculum, um, yeah. largely due to his ideas. I, I won't take the credit there, um, uh-huh. but we we sort of work together as a trust. We have um, subject community meetings. Um, where we sort of feed in our ideas about the curriculum um, and we sort of have a, a central common curriculum uh, which which schools can adapt um, as yeah. they so wish. Um,
2: yeah, that's really interesting, like working collaboratively in terms of building that curriculum instead of completely starting from scratch. Yeah,
3: we found it really useful um, in history, especially um, to to work alongside Ben.
2: Um, we yeah, had... <laughs> <laughs> and what other questions, you know, besides um, sequencing and, you know, for kind of progression in terms of disciplinary thinking um, were posed to you?
3: Um, there was a question about uh, whether the curriculum is as ambitious as the national
2: curriculum. Wow. Um, and so... what did you say in terms of, I'm just really intrigued.
3: <laughs> well, as part of our sort of curriculum development, um conversations which we've been having for quite some time um I've sort of pulled out my annotated copy of the national curriculum which sort of indicated sort of how we meet it where we go beyond it wow that's really Uh, good so I would I'd recommend that actually it's a really sort of quick and easy thing for for teachers and heads of department to do just to sort of assess their their curriculum themselves really and to see where it's perhaps Mm -hmm. more ambitious
2: Yeah and I also feel like even just incorporating more historical scholarship that also um, shows ambition because I remember in my secondary school uh, history education I never encountered historical scholarship until university or maybe A-levels for coursework to be honest Um, so that's you know, that's really interesting. Yeah, I would say A-level, that's when I started to encounter historical scholarship, but, you know, introducing it at the very beginning with Key Stage 3, I think that that's also ambitious, especially in terms of skills. Um,
3: Absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm. It,
3: it feeds into one of the other questions um, we were asked as well, which was sort of give an example of where students struggled with a concept and how you've addressed this.
2: Um, oh, that's oh, that's really good. Oh, please. Um, Tom's just said sorry. Uh, he did he didn't encounter any historical scholarship at school that he can remember either. Yeah, I think we're doing a tremendous job currently as um, you know um, history teachers. But yeah, back to your question. Sorry, um, Laura. So um, can you repeat that question that they posed? That you yeah.
3: just yeah. Uh, so is, give an example of where students struggled with a concept and how you've addressed this.
2: Oh, please do share what you said. This is really interesting.
3: <laughs> well, I linked it back once again to the, the scholarship because at GCSE we do AQA GCSE and
2: yeah.
3: we do particularly the Germany section. Um, students tend to struggle with the interpretations.
2: Wow.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. And and at A level again, when we do AQA um, again, and they they tend to really struggle with the paper one side of it, where they look at the the historical interpretations. Um, of the yeah. past. So we, we thought, well, by exposing them to these sort of from key stage three, um, by um, annotating them, reading through as a class and sort of getting to grips with what, what the arguments are actually a- about, about. Yeah. Uh, they, they really, so far, I'm really hoping for, for really positive things um, for GCSE going forward, um, when students are just more familiar with with the sort of language that historians
2: use yeah because if they get familiar with the language then them you know synthesizing that into a narrative or historical account uh becomes much more sophisticated really truly um yeah it sounds like you're doing a tremendous job laura so well done oh, um, thank you. to you uh, what other questions were posed so we've spoken about sequencing we've spoken about um progression of discipline as well as difficult concepts being addressed
3: um, there was a question um, about how the curriculum meets the needs of
2: all learners. Um, oh, yeah, like SEN and I guess most able. That's absolutely. Really, yeah, yeah. and um, Yeah, what did you say in terms of that? Just, you know, it's out of interest.
3: Um, we spoke about um, how we we teach to the top and we scaffold so that students can all access the ambitious curriculum that we've got planned. Yeah. Um, we we use the visualizer a lot in same. in history lessons. Yeah. Um, lots of sort of class annotations, modelling, um, lots of sort of show calls under the visualizer. Yeah, same. Um, and this we find that you know by supporting the sort of most vulnerable learners um, as a, as a school, we we're helping everybody to access the curriculum um, even better. And yeah. Yeah. One, of the, one of the nice things about um, working at Skagmers Grammar School as well is that the behaviour has always been been very good uh, when I've yeah. taught there. Um, but recently, our sort of expectations have perhaps uh, been a little bit higher, even higher, um, should I say? And we just have sort of uh, such a strong culture uh, of sort of good behaviour, of respect in the classroom, and it just it makes teaching a pleasure. Um, wow. and it just ensures that the most vulnerable learners um are supported
2: um wow. really That's well. that shows the importance of having you know um, in terms of uh, having strong behavior systems as well as well as having you know that culture of really high expectations because it just allows teaching and learning to really flourish and take root you're not dealing with um negative behavior that distracts away from the teacher but you could just literally just teach you can teach the top I love what you said oh you said teach the top and you scaffold your way down I love that I'm gonna stick that on my (laughs) um office wall yeah I really like that that's the way it should be and it just shows that you have you know high expectations for all so yeah well done to you um so did you have to like you know print off anything for SEN or most able to show that you cater for all abilities or could you just um you know talk um just talk your way through what you do with them
3: um well I just spoke about it but um, during the work scrutiny um they did ask to look at um SEN books so I would imagine that they've sort of tried to sort of triangulate that um, just to make sure that it is happening
2: yeah oh that's interesting yeah and i presume that they um oh, so tom's just said um your office wall must already be full of guest quotes <laughs> um not at the moment but i really like what laura said so i need to write that down and put that on my office office wall um yeah no you know no offense to all previous guests you've been amazing <laughs> um yeah so back to you laura um so in terms of you know Still, on the topic of SEN and most able for variety of abilities. I presume that they interviewed um students as well. Um, so were SEN um students interviewed and most able um students interviewed and if if so, what questions were posed to them? If you know,
3: um, I know that SEN students were um interviewed. I'm I'm not entirely sure um, as yeah. to what questions were asked. I wasn't in the the the. Sp- the interview um with the students at all so
1: perhaps I should have
2: asked really oh no no no, that's fine. I thought maybe you might know so oh that's really interesting um and you know in terms of your SEN students what um would what would if anybody was to come into you know your classroom what would they see in your SEN books
3: um, well, they would see the same work that's in all of the other books. Yeah, I love, that.
2: Um, love to, that. To be yeah. perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, They'll perhaps
3: see sort of a little bit more targeted questioning towards those students just to make sure that they've you know, fully understood um, that sort of what we've been reading or what, what topics we're learning about. But yeah, I don't think they would see um, vast differences um, because mm. what we do to support SEN students supports all learners.
2: Yeah. I think that's really important. In all honesty, um, yeah, I really, really do like that. I'm not, a, I'm, in all honesty, I'm not a fan of differentiation, especially by resource. I think it's one, mm-hmm. it's too time consuming in terms of the workload, and number two, students actually really don't like it. They, it makes it just kind of highlights the difference even more. They, I, I've found in my experience that they don't necessarily like differentiation by resource but you know things like differentiation by um questioning um even just supporting the um using the visualizer I think that's just you know it kind of gives a a way that you know um equal level playing field to all because the visualizer enables you to scaffold really well and everybody can access that um yeah in terms of your practice so I really like that because we, we heavily use the visualizer as well. don't know how other teachers do it without a visualizer. <laughs> no, I don't know how I used to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, is there anything, you know, um, you would have done differently if you had the chance or is there anything that you, and also I'm going to add to that, is there anything that you're most proud of as well in terms of your curriculum and talking about your curriculum?
3: Um, Well, in an ideal world, it would have been a little bit later in the term so that Mm -hmm. we could have sort of showcased a little bit more. Um, We did have some student books um, from last year still. So we could sort of show sort of how the curriculum builds and what this actually looks like for students. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, not much control over that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Mm. I wish I'd known a little bit more about the structure of the day as well. So knowing sort of knowing that I'd be seen five times.
1: Yeah.
3: uh, Oh, Wow. And I, I suppose, I think we did a quite a good job um, of highlighting sort of how we teach history and, and showing what we do. I was a little bit worried that we might have sort of, a well, we did have, in fact, a non-specialist um, inspector. Um, and I was a little bit worried that they sort of grapple with the, the subject, that maybe they'd have this sort of preconceived idea of what history should be and, and what mm-hmm. it should look like. Um, so... I was quite pleased, really, that we sort of got across our message of sort of history still being created and debated, um, wow. and that this is why we focus on scholarship. Um, I was a little yeah. bit worried about them sort of not getting it, and it's, it's a little bit out there, uh, perhaps. I think more and more schools are sort of embedding scholarship now.
2: Yeah, definitely,
3: um, so I'm yeah I'm really pleased of, of sort of what our curriculum looks like. The fact that our Year Seven students have already read um, sort of sections from Mary Beard and Peter Frankopan. Wow, wow!
2: wow. That honestly, that just shows such an ambitious curriculum already. And um, even with like, as you said before, building upon that disciplinary. Um, thinking the more that they encounter these writings and the the academic work as well that just it enables their writing to be sophisticated and I think another thing that from the sounds of your curriculum is that it's very integral to what's currently being you know debated and discussed which is amazing
3: absolutely uh, it's really, really important that the students can sort of see history. Uh, it's, it's not really a fixed thing. You know, it's yeah. still still changing, still being debated.
2: Yeah, and it's obviously influenced by that, the time period in which it's been studied and, you know, the access to resources in which to um, construct the accounts. So and it's really important if a student can articulate that in um, an interview or in terms of just speaking about the curriculum, I think you've just done a fantastic job just then being able to say that and identify that that's just amazing um yeah and then what what would you say you're you are most proud of in terms of your journey and building and you know tweaking your curriculum i would say um perhaps with quite a small
3: school really um we've got a team of non-specialists that that teach history um and i'm really proud of the the sort of consistency that we've got um, wow. across the faculty um, and that all teachers um, who teach history are sort of supported to do the absolute best job that they can. Um, we share yeah. sort of um, teaching history articles with them. We we talk about, um, you know, recent podcasts that have been um, put out there by historians um, yeah. and that, you know, just having a team around me that, that are just so good at engaging with with the historical scholarship and understanding, even out of their subject specialism, what it is we're actually trying to do with our curriculum.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting then. Like, um, it sounds like you really, you know, support your non-specialist teachers, you know, really well. And what tips would you give to a um, uh, you know, to any teacher out there that's struggling to formulate, you know, consistency with in a department do you have any tips to share all nuggets of wisdom um if you
3: get given sort of any sort of faculty time use it really wisely um engage with um your subject um associations we're really lucky with the historical association um the the resources they they put out there like the what's the wisdom on for example is just phenomenal
2: yeah, yeah. Um,
3: Make, make the most of it, you know, share this this reading, make sure that everybody understands the big picture. What is it you're trying to achieve with your curriculum and how can they help you in, in getting there as well? Yeah. It's a, it's a collaborative thing. You know, curriculums, is even a common curriculum. It shouldn't be done to people. It shouldn't be imposed. Um, it's a, a collaborative effort. And if people understand the why and the rationale behind it, um, you know, you, you're, you're halfway there.
2: Mm, that's really interesting thank you and um, my last question is you know how did you prepare your team you touched on you know you're supporting uh, your non-specialists as well so just wanted to know that how because I guess you know when Ofsted speak to you I and mean, speak to you know your team they're looking for consistency are you thinking from the same hymn sheet um, so how did you and you know you oh, sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> Ella, <laughs> yeah, so how did you support your team in terms of that, in terms of building a curriculum?
3: So, as I say, we're really lucky that we get so much um, time given to us as a faculty um, yeah. and we can focus on sort of curriculum discussions, um, sort of why we're we learning this, where does it fit in later? Um, I just wanted to sort of get the, the message across to them after we got the call that it is just business as usual. Wow, I love they're, that. They're all very good at their jobs. They're teaching the lessons that we had planned. They're teaching Whoa. it as, as you know, all they had to do really is to turn up and do their job as normal. Um, yeah. That's what they did do. And it worked out really well for us.
2: Um, love it. Love that. Oh, you just sound like you're doing such an amazing job, um, Laura. I definitely need to have you on again and just literally just instead of just you know talking about the curriculum in light of Ofsted just purely talking about curriculum <laughs> um just as a love for the subject because you you seem so knowledgeable so I would definitely love you to have you back on the show we could just discuss all things um curriculum and more in terms of possible inquiries that you do as well as you know talking more about assessments and so on so if you're up for that <laughs> please let me know <laughs> another Monday. day, day um you know you're available because this has been really enlightening so I definitely would like to have you back (laughs) um I'd like to come back so thank you no thank you it's just been really um interesting um and then just before you go we you go do you have any like just kind of encouraging words to say anyone that's you know anticipating inspection and any top tips (laughs) The biggest top tip would
3: be don't panic. It's it's an opportunity to show off what you're already doing. Um, Mm -hmm. Have a few things handy. So even though Tim Jenner sort of said there's no need for an Osted folder, um, Mm. to me it was really useful to have curriculum plans available, a a few examples of assessments, um, examples of student work, um, yeah. I know that they, they do a work scrutiny separately but it's quite useful if you're sort of saying oh we use a visualizer and we look at these historians to sort of yeah. have examples of that yeah um you could just teach what you were planning to teach do it how you would ordinary ordinarily do it um, and just make sure that you're really confident with your curriculum decisions because that is what most yeah. of the conversation was focused on yeah um, is, is your curriculum well sequenced? are you confident in why you're teaching what you're teaching and how it fits in with the bigger picture? And if you are, then you'll be absolutely fine. That's fantastic.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Laura. It was lovely having you on um, the show. Definitely want you back again. So let me know. actually i'll dm you another day (laughs) um yeah so thank you so much have a lovely evening um if before you go as well how can people you know follow you and get in touch with you if you could just share your twitter handle
3: yeah so i am on twitter uh you can follow me i'm at mrs l howie with an EY. I say this to my students too often (laughs) Um, so I'm, I'm Mrs. H on Twitter and obviously if you follow Teachers Talk Radio anyway, um, you'll see some recent tweets from your good self uh, which tagged me in there as well so it'd be great mm-hmm. to have uh, some more conversations with people
2: about curriculum Yeah, it would, yeah and, and you know, um, TMI courses, um happening soon for history so you should definitely speak at the event I think it'd be amazing big yeah. applications <laughs> are um, open for um, speakers now so you should definitely put in an application there you'd be really good thank laura. you honestly yeah so definitely will um i'll send you a dm about you know coming on again and we could just revel in just all things just purely curriculum outside <laughs> of uh you know yeah. thank you very much no thank you so much laura it's lovely having you um thank you for all the listeners um listening live um and thank you to all those that um are listening in the future um, please do um, let's continue on this um, conversation on twitter um laura's handle is at mrs l howie so please do at her for any further questions or um you know you can at me as well um and thank you so much it was lovely speaking to you all
0: you've been listening to teachers talk radio